Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, or Hellenists, preaching the word the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Amen. You may be seated this morning. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, brother. So as we begin in the word this morning in Acts chapter 11, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there. We see the church being identified and defined in a new way. And this is something that we see happen in life. I, th I think all of us probably know people, maybe we are people who are defined by something, whether it's a, a characteristic, an action, something we're passionate about, but it kind of, we get known for that thing. Uh, in, in our family, we have four children, and our third born is Camden. Uh, and if you know Camden, he's our sunshine baby. And one of the things that defines Camden, if you, if you know him or get to spend any time with him, is Camden loves rocks. And I'm not just talking about like he's a little boy who likes to pick up and throw rocks. Like every little boy likes to do that. I don't know why, but it's just a natural thing that they gravitate toward. But Camden, he loves rocks. If I go on a trip anywhere, he wants me to bring him back a rock from where I went, like to add to his collection. Or this past Wednesday night when church is over, all the kids are playing outside, they're running around with their friends playing games. Camden is over in the gravel driveway by the outpost picking up rocks for his collection that he wants to take home. Or uh, during Christmas this past year, I did what uh, many of parents do, probably not a good thing, but when my children are starting to disobey or be disrespectful, I begin to lovingly threaten them that I will not put toys in their stockings, but instead I will put, guess what, coal in their stocking. And so we're having this conversation, and Cam says, Daddy, what's coal? I said, well, it's black rocks. And you would think I would have said that there are diamonds in your stocking. Like his eyes get really big and, Daddy, I want coal for Christmas. It's like, sweet. Like, I'll, uh, I don't like spending a lot of money. It's awesome. I'll go get some black spray paint, some rocks. You won't know the difference. It'll be awesome. Camden loves rocks. He's, he's a rock kid. It's one of the things that defines him. Well, in this passage that our brother Oscar just read, we see something that defines the church in a unique way that that we pray defines this church family, that me as one of your elders, as your pastors, we are praying would be known about us, this family, this community. And we see it in this text, and so we've already read through it, but the context is that persons, persecution has broken out because of Stephen's death, and now the church is scattered, but they're not scattering to hide from persecution. They're scattering to go tell others about the gospel. And that there are some men who go to some far regions, one of those being Antioch. And up to this point, when people would share the gospel, they would share the gospel with, with other Jews. 
But here something different happens. It says that there are men from Cyprus and Cyrene. And Cyprus was an island city. Cyrene was from North Africa. So they're from different ethnicities, different languages. And they take the gospel to Greek-speaking Gentiles. And so now the gospel's going outside of just the Jewish nation for the very first time. And it says that God's hand is on them. And many believe. And, and the news starts to travel, and so the church at Jerusalem, they send Barnabas to check this out and see what's going on. And Barnabas comes, and he sees God's hand. Many are coming to faith. The revival's beginning to happen, so he encourages them to continue, to be steadfast, continue in the work of the gospel. Then he goes and gets Saul, who we know is Paul, to come help him, because Saul was a, he was a dysphoria Jew, which means he knew and was around different languages and different ethnicities, so he could come into that context and minister. And then we see something remarkable happen in verse 26 that we just read. So the watching community is looking at this community of faith. It's looking at this church, this newly found church, and they don't know what to call it. They're from different ethnicities, they're from different regions, they speak different languages, they're at different social statuses. Uh, and so they don't know how to define this movement, this grouping of people. What do we call these people? They have nothing in common. There's nothing that unites them that we can see from the outside. And they finally find a couple of things that unite them. And so they, they put together this word that we carry today. And they say, you know what? Let's call them Christians, which means little Christ. The one thing that united this group of misfits, this diverse group of people, was their radical devotion and love to Jesus Christ and their radical devotion to worship Jesus with one another. We see that in verse 26. It says that when Paul, when he had found Saul and brought him, that for a whole year they met with the church. This group of people, they were committed to worshiping Jesus together, to gathering together. It wasn't a thing they did every now and again. It was their practice. It was their life. It was their pursuit. But then it says, and they taught a great many people in Antioch, the disciples, the followers. Followers of who? Jesus. The followers were first called little Christ, Christians. Church, wouldn't it be amazing if the one thing that Tri-Cities was known for was not where we are, or the type of church we are, or the type of music we have, or who preaches on a Sunday morning. Wouldn't it be awesome if the one thing we were known about in this community was they are little Christ. They love Jesus. But they love God with all their heart, with all their soul, all their mind, all their strength. And then as Jesus commanded us to do, and the new commandment I give you in John chapter 13, that you would love one another just as I've loved you. This is the kind of church we want to be. This is the kind of church I want to be a part of. This is the kind of church that I'm praying God would make us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to invite my brother, fellow elder pastor, uh, David Brewer up. He's just going to pray this over us. I want to invite you to pray this as well. We want to be a church that abides together and gathers together so that the world might know that Jesus is the incomparably glorious Savior of us all. Lord, that is a uh, <clears throat> convicting point that uh, I just want to ask us all to take a moment and meditate over. What are we known for, Lord, as individuals, and what are we known for as a family of faith?
in what we call Tri-Cities Baptist Church. Will you remind us again of who we are and whose we are? We are imitators of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not powered in our own flesh to be imitators, but powered actually through the resurrected power and spirit of Christ himself to represent who he is in our walk and what we think and what we do. And God, we recognize and we pray that as we abide in you, as we belong to you, that we also simultaneously belong to one another. Thank you for reminding us that this church at Antioch didn't have numerous descriptions of itself based on individuals in the church, but they had a collective nickname. They had a collective um, description of what they were known for. Lord, what may this community that we live, this world that we live, while they may not agree with much of what we believe or what we do, may they be able to say that those people at that local church are genuine followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are, for what you've done, and for the church, the group of people by which we can gather together in one place, in one spirit, under one name, the name Jesus Christ. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey church, I'm going to be reading from 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 13 through 18. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So, I couldn't tell the story quite the way I'm going to tell it now because my daughter was in the 930 service. And I don't want to tell you a story, though. A few uh, weeks ago, we're leaving church, and I had kind of gotten on Lena. And by gotten on Lena in church, I, mean, I gave her the dad look. You know, you get the, any dads know what I'm talking about? Just the dad look. Let's just calm down, right? And so we're driving, and we're in the car, and I said, I said, hey, Bug, what, what happened today? And she goes, I got in trouble. All I did was look at her. Dad, that's an amazing power, by the way. Um, and I, I, I said, well, for what? And she named a specific action that happened the moment before I gave her the look. The truth was, that was just a action. There were a series of just really small actions. The end of themselves wouldn't have been disruptive to anybody sitting near us or anything else. She just named the last one because that's the one that immediately preceded the look, right? 
I said, Lena, that's not, that's not the half of it. You ever heard that expression? That's not the half of it. What's that mean? That means there's a lot more to it than the simple thing that you're accepting. There's more there. And I was trying to explain this to her, and I, I went to a math illustration, and I said, do you know math? And very confidently, my seven-year-old says, yes. I said, what's one plus one? She says, two, see? All right. So then I threw out an algebra problem. And literally, my daughter, I promise, she says, I don't even know what you're talking about. I said, that's math. That's math. It is just a deeper, more mature math than what you have learned and accepted. See, we have a problem, I think, sometimes in the church. We deem any math beyond what we have accepted and feel to somehow have claimed in our life as not being very relevant for us, as unnecessary. That's over my head. That's for somebody else. That's for, you know, that's for the nerds. That's for, that's for the Jesus freaks. That's for the people who just go too far. And we do this most often when things are familiar to us familiar to us and what I want you to catch about membership is that membership is present it's present it's not past it's not a decision you made and it's not something you check off the list and so when you look through our membership promises and I pray you have many times over the last few weeks when you look through those promises if your idea is to go oh I got that one you're missing the point The point is we pursue it, just like Paul defines and gives us these real practical handles for fellowship here in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. These are not mind-blowing things. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient. He's not saying anything they didn't know. And to some extent, he's not saying anything they're not already doing. But he's calling them to more to depth, to maturity that is beyond them. When we hold up as a church our membership promises for fellowship, when we talk about connecting and community and for the family, it's so easy for us to just read it and go, got it. That's not what we're saying. Listen to the first words of our promise in connecting community. It says, we promise to pursue fellowship. Listen to the first words of uh, equipping our families. We promise to value and prioritize the family. There is no experience in humanity that is more shared and more experienced than family and community. We're born into it. And it's so tempting, tempting to just rest in the math that we know. But what we say as a church when we come together and make those promises to one another is that we are committing and submitting to one another in such a way that we challenge ourselves to deeper, more authentic fellowship, to a more mature, faithful family at home. That's what we're doing. That's what we're saying. That's how we're coming alongside and helping one another. Not to just say, I got some math. 
but to realize there is so much more in front of us than there is behind us. There's so much more. And to know God more and to be conformed more and more to the image of His Son, that is our heart's desire for one another, for the church. And so when we make these promises, one of the things that you're going to have to do is realize that these are present promises. They're active. They're pursuits for today, for tomorrow. Because we do not arrive until we are like Jesus. And so we have much work left to do. I'm going to ask Wes to come forward. He's going to pray for us and pray over our fellowship as a church and our families. And as he does, I just want to read you a couple, uh, just a few of these promises uh, that are here in Connecting Community and Equip Our Families straight from our membership promises. It says, I promise to live in Christian fellowship, connecting in community with my church family sounds simple you could just say I do that or you can pursue it right I promise to discover develop and use my gifts talents and experiences to serve one another I promise to value my family as the first place of faithful ministry and I promise to be committed to the discipleship of my family in partnership with the family of faith Wes would you pray for us Father we come to you as your children, as your people that you have adopted into your family. I come on behalf of my brothers and sisters in Christ sitting here before us this morning and recognize that you called us out of sin and darkness into relationship with you, but not by ourselves, but with these other men and women in this room with us. I'm thankful that you don't leave us to ourselves, but you give us a body as as imperfect as we may be with his with the bruises and blemishes and the imperfections that we may have individually and together that you call your body beautiful we know that uh, you've given us a task you've given us um, the pursuit of becoming like you and coming to know you more to pursue together i pray that you grow us in our understanding of what it means to take risks, to risk the awkwardness, to risk the uncomfortableness, to uh, give us boldness in how we admonish one another and correct one another, encourage one another, and to be patient with each other as we pursue becoming more like you. I pray that this picture of the family that you give us uh, and this responsibility you give our parents and grandparents and disciples and caregivers that we take serious, that There are young lives that you've entrusted to us to steward, to point to you, to partner with the church, to partner with these teachers that that invest so much time and effort and energy to to help uh, the next generation come to know and follow you, to find their joy in you. I pray for uh, the next generation that comes behind us, that our faithfulness prepares the way for them to be faithful as well, that, uh, that, that our children are invested in deeply and faithfully, that you'd grant them repentance and faith, bring them to saving knowledge, understanding of you, to follow them, follow you with their lives as well. I pray that uh, as we as we walk through life pursuing you together, um, that you'd grant us uh, just deep conviction to place the word uh, in our homes, to 
give it its proper place, to prioritize time alone with you, to prioritize time as a family, to discuss your word and prioritize time with other spirit-filled brothers and sisters to help us uh, as we pursue you. And I pray that as this is done, others look at us and see that we are these little Christ, as Paul talked about, that we belong to you because of how we love, care for, and serve one another. It's in your name I pray. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we've proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, church. Thank you, Kim. So let me try to pull all these pieces together now, if we can, as a church. We've spent the last several weeks this summer of defining the principles that ground us as a church We've talked this morning about the practices we pursue, these discipleship practices by which we grow. and We spur one another on. As we've talked about abiding in Christ, this abiding relationship with Christ and connecting in real fellowship with one another and how we want to pursue equipping our families. And then the, the question for us that I want to challenge us a little bit with out of 1 Thessalonians is this, okay, so what happens in a local church family just like this one, just like the one we're looking at in 1 Thessalonians that Kim just read to us, what happens in a local church family when a local church that's in membership with one another, they're pursuing together their abiding relationship with Jesus? What happens over time in a local church family and they're loving one another and they're serving one another and they're living out this thing called fellowship together? They're connecting in community as we would say. What happens when they're investing in their families and they're investing in the next generation and they're gathering like this for worship? What happens over time in a local church body like Thessalonica or like Tri-Cities over time? What's the result? And here's what I want us to know this morning. When God is at work and we're pursuing these things, when God's at work among a people, what he's doing among a people never just stays there. There's always reverberations of God's activity. And that's what we see in the church at Thessalonica. And that's what we're praying in the life of this church. And what we're seeing in our church is we faithfully and consistently pursue the Lord Jesus. And we pursue one another. And we are a, a loving family with one another. That the reverberations of the gospel never stay right here. 
that the reverberations of the message of the gospel as you go out and as you are sent out in your neighborhoods and into your communities and into your schools and to the ends of the earth, you carry the gospel with you and the reverberations sound forth from here to the ends of the earth. Now that's exactly what happened in this church in Thessalonica. And the reason I picked this one is because it's not just a, a model. For me, this is a prayer. Lord, continue to let us see these things happen in the life of this local church. As we are members together and we say, this is my faith family. This is where I'm serving and this is where I'm submitting. And this is my local church. Lord, do some of these things in us. So Paul writes to this church and he says, I thank God for you. Paul, what are you thankful for at this little local church here? And by the way, sometimes when we read about churches in the Bible, like the church at Thessalonica, we kind of think they're super saints and these just extra, you know, glorified Christians or something. These are just common men and women just like you and me that's been changed by Jesus. And as they walk in faithfulness, God's going to do some incredible things in and through them. He says, I thank God for your great faith, verse 2. He says, I, I thank God that you are known by your love for one another. It's like what Daniel mentioned a minute ago. They're not just satisfied to say, man, we got fellowship. We got community. No, they're continuing to pursue what that looks like and what that means. Paul says, I thank God for your hope in the Lord Jesus and his return, his coming. Here's what that meant. That this church, they never realized or they never thought this was home. They couldn't wait for Jesus to come. They never were confused to believe that this world was home. And he goes on, he says in verse 5, he says, The gospel came to you not only in word, but in power. Paul, and in his mind, I can imagine, thought through all the faces. It's like here, of all the faces of where the gospel has come to you, not in just word, but power, and you've been transformed by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he's changed your life forever. Paul says, that's you, the church at Thessalonica. There's evidence among you. He says, you're imitators of me and of the Lord. They continue to grow in Christ's likeness in this pursuit together. And if you were part of the church at Thessalonica, I bet you were encouraged and you were spurred on to grow in your relationship with the Lord. It was just the culture. Just the way they did things. So as a church, they were spurring one another on. Verse 6, he says, all this in much affliction which meant in this local church, in the city of Thessalonica, it cost them something to follow Jesus. And man, they were willing to pay the price, whatever it looked like, and sacrifice to one, for one another, sacrifice to make Jesus known, whatever that looked like. And then he goes on, he says, in much affliction, verse 6, in the joy of the Holy Spirit, verse 6. And then he get on down to verse 8, my favorite verse, he says this, and the message that has come to you, what has happened in your life? What's this? Verse 8. He says, has sounded forth from you to the ends of the earth, to Achaia and Macedonia and to the rest of the world. This is beautiful. You've got to see this word picture. So Paul says, all that God's been doing in you, you a local church, pursuing Christ in an abiding relationship and pursuing connecting in community and equipping your families and gathering for worship. What God has done there didn't just stay there. As you went out, you carried the gospel with you and the reverberations. The word sound forth literally means to reverberate. We get the word echo from it. Here's a word picture for you. 
It'd be like if I went out to the lake and I, I took a rock, maybe one of Paul's rocks that he painted to make it look like coal. I don't know what kind of dad does that. But anyway, you, it's our family pastor. But okay, so you get the picture. I take this rock and I drop it down in the lake and boop, it, it could be a big rock, little rock, it doesn't matter. And it begins to cause waves. And those waves from that one little pebble begin to cover the whole water. And pretty soon, those waves will cover the entire body of water. The reverberations and the vibrations caused by that one pebble will ultimately be felt all over their entire body of water. Paul says, as you as a faith family, together pursue Christ. And you're growing in your Christ-likeness. And you're committed to loving and serving one another as a faith family. And you're investing in the next generation. These things we promise to one another here as a faith family. He said, here's what happens. Wherever you're sent, wherever you go, you take the gospel with you. And you speak the message of Christ. And the ripples of the gospel are carried wherever you go. And they're felt in your school where you are because you're there. And the ripples of the gospel are felt in your neighborhood because you're there. And you're speaking the gospel and you're living the gospel and you're making Jesus Christ known. And it goes throughout Washington County and it goes throughout Sullivan County. And it goes to places like Denver and Portland and Portugal and South Africa and Nicaragua. And wherever the people of Tri-Cities are sent and where we go, the waves of your life and what Jesus has done in your life go. And they touch other lives as you speak the gospel and live out the implications of the gospel and what God does here never just stays here ever that's the picture of this church in Thessalonica and that's what we're praying God continues to do in us and through us as the gospel reverberates through us and we promise these are these membership promises that we talked about Jeremy's going to come on up and just pray over us but as we think about these promises we make in membership one of the promises is simply we promise to go make disciples sharing the love and the message of Jesus Christ wherever we are sent. And it reverberates from here to the ends of the earth to the glory of God. And that's what kind of church we are praying we continue to be by the grace of God. Jeremy, would you just pray over our church family? Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, the one that gave your church the command to go and proclaim the gospel to all people and all nations, to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to baptize them and teach them everything that you have taught us through your word. You gave us as your church, as disciples of Christ, that command to go and proclaim the gospel. As you build a people for yourself, of the body of Christ, the church. And we know that you do not send out this command in a return void. No, we know from your word that one day every knee shall bow and confess that Jesus Christ is king. We know that you are collecting a people for yourself, a redeemed community. sons and daughters that you've adopted through Jesus Christ. We know, we know in your sovereignty and the power of the Holy Spirit that you 
will accomplish these things. We know in the New Testament, we know from the book of Acts and from the early church epistles that you began to just sow the seeds of the gospel everywhere, that you emboldened the disciples, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, they had a love for you, a true love for you, and they had a love for one another. You spurred them on in boldness, a boldness that only you could provide. That even though that they were beaten and they even lost their lives and they were persecuted, that you could not shut these people up. They boldly proclaimed the gospel. No one could get them to stay silent. We know that we have brothers and sisters across the ocean in hard to reach places today that are boldly proclaiming the gospel knowing that it may cost them their very life or their families. Father, I come to you with open hands and an open heart, with fear and trembling, knowing that you are good, but asking you to give us a love for you as you've given the early church and people across the nations. I ask you that you give us the same boldness that you gave the early church that no one will be able to shut us up from proclaiming the gospel because we love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind and strength and we know that you are worthy of the glory from all nations and all people and that we truly have a love for those within the body and those without the body that we, we see them as image bearers of Christ who are broken and who need a savior and we know that you're the only savior possible that we will boldly proclaim the gospel to our children, to our neighborhoods, to our schools, to our workplaces, that it'll just be the natural rhythm of our life to proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ. And that we won't just stop there, but that we will be willing to give up everything and risk everything, empowered by the Holy Spirit, trusting in you, loving you, to go to those hard to reach places. Because you are worth all glory. You are worth the worship of these people. And we want them to find their joy in you. We know that every knee will bow and proclaim Jesus as King one day. We know that you will accomplish this and that you don't need us, but you just allow us to be a part of that. Please bless our church with the desire to make you known and the boldness to make you known. And please allow us to be a part of that for your glory and your fame, not ours, but for yours. In Jesus' sweet name, we ask these things. Amen.